From a totally different perspective? Ready for provocative conversation? Intriguing stories and inspiration? Then don't touch that dial. Welcome to Talk with Francesca. She'll give you something to talk about all week long. Now, here's Francesca. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Talk with Francesca. I'm Francesca, your host, and I've got a great guest lined up today. Put on your seatbelt because we're going deep. But before we get started, if you want to chime in or comment on the show or the guest or the topic, send me an email at info at talkwithfrancesca.com. And if you want to learn more about the show or any shows that are upcoming, you can visit my website, talkwithfrancesca.com. This portion of Talk with Francesca is sponsored by Jennifer Powell. If you are starting to notice fine lines and wrinkles, stubborn fat that won't go away, I think everyone's going with all that. Perhaps your body is trying to tell you something. Jennifer Powell RN has just the remedy for you. Visit her at jlprn.com to schedule your complimentary consultation today. Jennifer and her team of specialists look forward to helping you understand your beauty from within. Okie dokie, Valentine's Day is coming up in just a few days, and I have some decadent candy. Here we are talking about stubborn fat that won't go away, and I've got decadent candy that I'm giving away from McSqueet's Gourmet Confections. It's to die for candy. Marianne Carpenter is a local girl. She grew up in Norwell and has been making candy for family and friends for the past 20 years. She participates in local farmer markets, and I can tell you I've had some of her candy just yesterday, and like the old potato chip commercials, you can't have just one. So again this week, I gave away candy last week, and again this week, the third, sixth, and ninth emailer at info at talkwithfrancesca.com wins. Just put in the subject line, yummy candy, and it's yours. Okay, jump on your computers now, and good luck. All right, if it's not one thing, it's your mother. Well, maybe it is. Everyone wants desperately to believe that in a world where love is so hard to find and even harder to hang on to, one kind of love is hopefully unbreakable, a mother's love. But the truth of the unloving mother who actively wounds, dismisses, or disparages her child in words and actions is a cultural secret really no one wants to acknowledge. But so many women suffer alone and in silence in a sea of pastel-tinted sentiments, mugs that say, world's best mom. Well, today my guest is Peg Streep. Streep. I'm sorry, Peg. And her mother couldn't and or didn't love her. She is a best-selling author. She's written 12 books and is a Psychology Today blogger. Her posts have been read by more than 14 million people. So big welcome to you, Peg, to talk with Francesca. It's great to have you back again. Thank you so much for having me. So, uh, Peg, our entire culture believes not only that all females naturally are more nurturing than men, right, but that motherhood is instinctual and that, of course, all mothers love their children unconditionally. But you've done a ton of research, and you know otherwise. So tell us about that. Well, again, uh, it is what you said at the very beginning. Um, our culture is very, very invested in the idea of one kind of love that will never be altered. And the best candidate for that is maternal love. Mm-hmm. And um, the reality of it is, and of course that's also, it should be said, influenced by religion as well. Mm. Um, Honor thy the, mother and father. 
right? That, that's right. Yeah. And also the underscoring of the Virgin Mary as the ultimate mother, for example. But the reality of it is this. Um, mothering for humans is learned behavior. It is not instinctual. It is just not instinctual. Uh, we learn how to mother from the examples that are set by others, uh, our own mothers and other people around us who nurture. Um, so, in effect, how good a mother you, you will be isn't necessarily guaranteed unless you're consciously aware of how you mother. Now, how many people actually have unloving mothers? This is a question I get asked all the time. Mm -hmm. Well, attachment theory uh, holds that our early childhood experiences with our primary caregivers, who are most usually our mothers, it should be said, um, those experiences teach us not only how to regulate our emotions, but also build in us these completely unconscious mental models of how the world works and how relationships work. So, if you grow up with a mother who pays attention to you reliably, listens to you, locks eyes with you, comforts you when you're a baby, soothes you when you're upset, and as you get older, is effectively a cheerleader, a source of guidance, a source of support, and love, you grow up with what the experts call secure attachment. That's estimated that 50 to 60 percent of all children emerge from childhood with a secure style of attachment. However, that's not math, that much. Well, if you do those, but yes, if you do the math, right, the number was 50 to 60, right? Mm hmm. That leaves 40 to 50% of all children who don't get their emotional needs met in childhood. That's not a small number. Yet it is a number and a truth that culturally uh, we look away from. And um, I have been looking at this kind of inconvenient truth for just about 20 years. And... Uh, Finally, what we're doing is opening the door of the cupboard where secrets are kept, mm -hmm. and we're shining some light on the fact that, yes, not all mothers are loving. Not all children get their emotional needs met in childhood. So basically, 40 to 50 percent of women out there on Mother's Day are miserable, right? With all those, maybe there should be more cards out there that don't say to the most wonderful. Well, I mean, again. <laughs> thing about it, human beings take an incredibly long time to mature and to be able to take care of ourselves. I mean, compare, us, compare a human to a newt or a snake, for example. It takes years. So human infants are actually hardwired to need their primary caretaker, because it's in evolution's best interest, by the way, mm -hmm. to have that baby focused on the caretaker. That's the only route to survival. So, so then how do the mothers ignore them if that's the case? Well, 
evolution has done what it can, by the way, to, <laughs> right? um, to have that not happen. Um, there is nothing more irritating and annoying and piercing than an infant cry. And in fact, studies show that the reason that you can't sleep through a baby screaming on an airplane, and it doesn't, it's not your baby. This is not your problem. <laughs> yeah. That is because your brain is hardwired to respond to that. It's supposed to get your attention. And that's so that, you know, during the hunter-gatherer days, when mm -hmm. you had your baby with you, there were no daycares, after all. Um, if you perchance put the baby down and forgot it, its scream would alert you to the fact <laughs> that you would have to go get it. So, you know, evolution is provided for all sorts of cues to have that child penetrate your consciousness, as it were. Um, but the problem is that while the baby is hardwired to need you, mom, mom is not hardwired to need, need the baby. Well, yeah, I mean, and that's really, uh, that's really <clears throat> odd. And there doesn't also seem to be an expiration date on needing a mother's love either. I mean, grown women, grown women still want their mother's love, no matter how old they are. Oh, I, listen, um, I have readers who are deep in their 70s. Oh, my goodness. And still in mourning. Mourning? Is that what you said? Mourning? Yes, mourning, yes. Well... Still feeling needy. Uh... And their, mother, their mothers are no longer alive. But, I mean, the reality of it is that the, this need for a, this essential love doesn't have an expiration date. It's really not even based on the fact that whether the mother is alive or not. If the woman has not healed from this wounding, she will continue to mourn this mother and the loss of that, the fact that she did not have that love for decade after decade after decade. Um, it is, I mean, again, it's, the need for a mother is extremely primal. It's really, and particularly in daughters, but it's also there in sons as well. Mm. Um, that need for approval, for guidance, for support, for acceptance is, you know, right at the center of the self. And when it doesn't happen, it's pretty catastrophic. And it seems to take a very, very long time for a daughter to recognize that she's been mistreated, marginalized, or ignored. Absolutely. Um, and and why is that? Because they just can't face that that, that could well, be the case? No, actually, no. There are lots. It's, it's really not that simple at all. First of all, all of us, remember how little the world of childhood is? It's teeny. Mm-hmm. I mean, you might be an only child, you might have siblings, um, but where you grow up, uh, you assume that what happens at your house happens everywhere, because you have nothing to compare it to. You're a little kid. Um, so that, for example, if there's a lot of screaming and yelling in the house, you assume that there's screaming and yelling in every house. In other words, our tendency 
as children is to normalize our experiences. And that can include normalizing everything from chaos to bad behavior to downright abuse. Mm -hmm. Because we assume it's elsewhere. Now, that's one part of it. So there's normalization. This is, impedes recognition. The other is the hardwired need for mom and her love. So the daughter will spend years, if not decades, trying to change herself in some way because all she really wants, by the way, she doesn't want to recognize that her mother doesn't love her. She wants to fix it. She wants to become the daughter, the person, the girl, the woman her mother could love. Oh, Lord. We, uh, let me, uh, Peg, we uh, do need to take a break here. If you're listening to the show, you may be one of those daughters who never felt loved and know uh, you are not alone. In fact, you have more company than you have ever imagined. If you believed and perhaps still believe that you were to blame for your mother's not loving you or you are afraid to tell anyone else because you want to be like all the other daughters, the ones who were hugged by their mothers and whose moms smile when they came into the room, then you'll want to stay with us here. Don't go anywhere. This is life, don't miss it. I appreciate you hanging out with me. More talk on the way here on 95.9 WATD. Looking for a unique experience to dining? Rio Brazilian Steakhouse brings an authentic Brazilian flavor with a great atmosphere to the restaurant scene in Plymouth. The interior is warm and welcoming, and the buffet style offers a relaxed atmosphere while offering fine dining with the traditional rodizio style from Rio, the heart of Brazil. Come dine and watch your dishes being prepared and cooked over the grill. Plymouth's best-kept secret, Rio Brazilian Steakhouse offers a full buffet daily, along with wine and beer. Rio Brazilian Steakhouse is located at 318 Court Street in Plymouth and is open seven days a week. For an unforgettable experience from start to finish, visit them at riosteakhouserestaurant.com. You'll be glad you did. Does your home reflect your personal style? Do you love spending time in every room of your home? Is your home healthy, clutter-free, organized, environmentally safe, breathable and green? Does balance, harmony and happiness flourish in your home, within you and your family? If not, you might just want to meet Cherise Moray. She is passionate about helping you create interior spaces that are healthy with an eco-twist using her signature framework of release, renew, Revitalize the three R's. Her mission is to give you the tools you need to trade toxic for tranquil, clutter for clarity, and hazard for health. These are just samplings of the many changes Charisse can help you make in your home. Learn more at charissemoray.com to get started on your eco journey and wait for your friends to ask how you did it. Email Charisse at cm at charissemoray.com or call 610-505-8695 to experience the transformation in your home that she's known for. You won't be disappointed. Located in Boston's North End holds one of our best-kept secrets, Antico Forno, ranked number nine of the top ten Italian restaurants around the world within the category of being one of the most authentic. With a welcoming family feel, it's hard to argue the experience you have when enjoying dinner at Antico Forno. Best known for their brick oven pizza, their world-class traditional cuisine does not fall far behind. Come enjoy dinner at Antico Forno and feel like part of the family. Open daily from 11.30 a.m. until 10 p.m. Call us today at 617-723. Or visit us at AnticoFornoBoston.com. 
Hey, this is James Woods, and you are listening to Talk with Francesca. On 95.9 WATD. All right, we are back. And I am speaking with author and co-author of 12 books, Peg Streep. Streep, I'm sorry, again, joins us. She joins us again, and we are talking about her book, Daughter Detox, about mothers who cannot or will not love their daughters. Welcome back, Peg. Thank you. So there's quite a predicament here. I mean, paradoxically, while the daughter feels unloved, uh, she can't see the ways in which she's wounded because she's hardwired to need her mother's love, and that never abates. And so what does she do? I mean, she's even if she seeks well, to protect her, herself by withdrawing, then she's got the feeling that she's sort of out there in the middle of no man's land, right? Um, I actually have come up with phrases for this. Uh, one, one is the dance of denial, mm. which is that the daughter keeps running through various scenarios, makes various changes to her own behaviors in an effort Ugh. to get what she wants from her mother, which is, of course, love and support, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And um, this can go on for decades. Um, at the same time, she is probably beginning to recognize as she gets older with more experiences that the way she's been treated is not okay. Now, that growing recognition it is a tug of war between it and her continuing need for her mother's love and support. I call that the core conflict. Mm-hmm. Where on the one hand, you have this growing recognition that the way your mother talks to you, the way she puts you down, the way she d- ignores you or dismisses you, compares you unfavorably to a brother or a sister or a sister-in-law, or anyone else for that matter, right? Mm -hmm. And until such time as the daughter is able to look at the core conflict, see it, and is willing to throw herself into the real process of recognition, by the way, Mm -hmm. the core conflict will keep on going. Now, sometimes the core conflict actually gets resolved, not because of the daughter herself, but uh, another kind of intervention. So, for example, she may marry into a family where the relationship between her mother-in-law and her mother-in-law's children and herself are mind-boggling. People actually listen to each other. Mm-hmm. They right. care about yeah. each other. Right. Um, right. So that's one, and that happens. It happens with some regularity where the normalization that's gone on about her own family of origin is suddenly challenged by I- an intimate connection with another family, right? It may come um, because of an intervention by a close friend, a lover, or a spouse who suddenly witnesses the treatment and says, What hey, the, yeah, what the heck? That's not okay. okay. Right. So there is a tipping point. And sometimes, actually, even though the daughter has tried to set boundaries uh, with the mother as an adult, 
uh, has tried to put down rules, which, of course, the mother ignores, right? Because she doesn't want her children not to have grandparents, right? Sometimes the tipping point happens when, to her shock and horror, her mother starts treating one of her children as she treated her. And that's another game changer. So, so elaborate on that. Sometimes it happens in therapy. So, wait a minute, elaborate on that a little bit. Be a little bit more, um, tell us a little bit more about that. You mean children? Yeah. Well, the the issue of grandparents, so so again, as women get older, and, and anecdotally at least, even if you know that your chi- your mother's treatment of you was not okay when you were relatively young, mm. say, mm-hmm. as a kid, a teenager, in your 20s, right? Mm-hmm. Very few people are able to act on it because they're still in the business of trying to make it work, right? Right. So as the recognition keeps growing, uh, then there's the grandparent problem. <laughs> so... <laughs> How do you how do you derive your child of grandparents? OMG, you can't. Right. So what these women do is they make all sorts of tentative moves to try to protect themselves while hopefully allowing their children to have right. what's considered a universal benefit, grandparents. Uh, By the way, not all of these mothers make great-grandmothers, obviously. Anyway. Right. But so. I would think that conscious awareness is really the ultimate weapon. Um, yeah, uh, right? but again, you, you, you want your child to have an extended family. Right. So you set up these boundaries and you, you, you cut back contact. And then all of a sudden at family gatherings, you see your children being uh, swept into the old patterns that you remember. Um, I had one woman who said for her the tipping point, uh, and in fact, it wasn't even a tipping point for her. It was a tipping point for her husband who said never again. They went to her parents for Christmas, I guess, with their, their kids, and her brother was there with his kids. And the brother was always the favorite, and she was always marginalized and ignored anyway um the brother's kids got fancy racing bikes and her own children got athletic socks oh and her husband said so sorry but no and and needless to say the children were very i mean it's not like children are blind to this right 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 and the husband said no i'm sorry we're out of the game and then in other cases, by the way, as grandchildren have gotten older, um, some daughters have found themselves uh, re-victimized by their, um, by their own mothers who tell their children that, you know, your, your, your mother is so unambitious, oh. your mother is so sensitive, your mother doesn't deal with things very well, your mother's not a good housekeeper. Mm-hmm. All of that happens where they, the mother tries to co-opt the child into basically being team, team right. grandma. Right, right. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about understanding the relational patterns in the family 
of origin, like how the other people in early life contributed or detracted from the mother's treatment of the unloved daughter, such as how the father behaved and the and or the attitudes of the siblings and even other people who formed a part of the, the woman's childhood world. You know, it really, you can't, there are similarities, but you can't really come up with a one-size-fits-all, right. right? Right. If you have a mother who is very high in narcissistic traits mm-hmm. uh, and sees her children essentially as extensions of herself who reflect well or badly on her, right? Mm-hmm. The name of the game becomes, for all of the children, pleasing mom. <laughs> right? Right. And there are winners and losers. Mm-hmm. Um, those relationships um, tend to be very fraught because when you're, in, when you're in a position where either you're trying to curry favor or you're trying to make sure that you don't end up a target, kids learn to tattle on each other. Oh, right, right. You know, they don't, they end up, they end up looking after their own self-interest because they want to be one of the good planets orbiting the sun. Um, that happens with a mother who's very combative or controlling as well, uh, where kids learn to stay on her good side and to duck under the radar, right? Mm-hmm. And they, again, combative and controlling mothers, blame game becomes a big part of family dynamic. Did you, are, were you an only child? I'm what I call an almost only. I, I am nine years older than my older brother. So essentially, while we had the same parents, um, we grew up in completely different households. And we haven't talked about that at all, but I started with the show saying that your mother was unlovable, as we as we know. And you've written a number of books, and there's another book that you've written called Mean Mothers. So yes. was there, I see. I think there's a difference between a sort of a narcissistic, um, unattentive mother, and a dismissive mother, and a downright mean mother, like a mommy, mm-hmm. de- like a mommy not, dearest, right? Not Is, really. No. No. Not, okay. Good. No. Okay. Because it, it, <laughs> wait, Kevin, know, why are you laughing? <laughs> have very site-specific needs. Okay, good. Well, that's they good, to, to, that's good you know, to know. They need to be listened to. Mm. They need to have their eyes looked into. They need to be reassured when they're scared. They need to be told that who they are is okay. Uh, they need to be guided as opposed to being controlled, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, all of these are variations on a theme some arguably worse than others in mm. terms of experience. Um, but all, each and every one of them stunts the child's development. I mean, the real problem, by the way, is not just healing from the lack of love, but fixing the behaviors you learned in childhood, which don't stand you in very good stead as an adult. Mm-hmm. And, and chances are good that women bring their relational patterns of the past into the present and not just with her mother, whether it's an inability to maintain relationships or intimate connections. Choosing the wrong people. Choosing the wrong people. love with, blah, blah, blah. That's exactly right. Being unable to work with your colleagues. Right, exactly. I mean, no, it's, I mean, again, these mental models of relationships are quite literal in some ways. Mm-hmm. 
you know, if you grow up in a loving household, your assumption is that most people are trustworthy, that most people are caring. This isn't to say, by the way, that you're not going to experience heartbreak. Of course. This isn't to say that you're not going to run into an untrustworthy person. Mm. But if your own mother is not emotionally trustworthy, you go out into the world wearing a suit of armor. Exactly. All right, Peg, we're going to take another break. And when we come back, I'd like to talk a little bit more about how the relational patterns of the past go into the present. Listeners, stay with us here. Don't go anywhere. This is life, don't miss it. I'm Francesca Luca, and you're listening to Talk with Francesca on 95.9 WATD. Are you starting to notice fine lines and wrinkles, increased anxiety and fatigue, skin laxity, or stubborn areas of fat that just won't budge despite your efforts? What is your body trying to tell you? With the power of Powell, you'll love the skin you're in. Some of the many services Jennifer Powell offers are Botox, Sculptra, Volume Restoration, Laser Hair Removal, Body Contouring, and Skin Tightening. Get to the root of the aging process and back to the best version of you, together. It's a fresh start with the power of Powell because with Jennifer, it is more than skin deep. For your convenience, she has two locations, one in Kingston and her new location in Hanover in Merchants Row. Call 781-605-5699 or visit her at jlprn.com to schedule your complimentary consultation today. Jennifer and her team of specialists look forward to helping you understand your beauty from within. The new Cobblestone Cafe on Hanover Street in Boston brings casual, on-the-go American fare to the North End serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Open daily at 7 a.m., Cobblestone Cafe offers burgers, barbecue, salads, fries, milkshakes, seafood, and the very popular Snickerdoodle iced coffee. Delivery and catering are also available. Cobblestone Cafe, 227 Hanover Street in Boston. For more information, call 857-263-8057 or visit them online at cobblestonecafene.com. Hey, long time no see. You look amazing. Thanks. I just came from my hair appointment with Thomas Negrelli at Rebel Hair Studio. Thomas Negrelli? Yeah, Thomas Negrelli. He specializes in cuts, color, blowouts, braids, and even makeup. I have been thinking about changing up my look. Then call him at 774-404-1872. Did you say that number again? 774-404-1872. Thanks. I'm calling him now. Looking for an authentic Italian meal in an intimate setting? Then you might just want to venture out to Boston this weekend and dine at Terra Mia Ristorante, a true gem among all those rhinestones in Boston's North End. This cozy tutorial with stucco walls and beam ceilings specializes in creative interpretations of Italian classics. Like the cuisines here, the atmosphere is elegant yet understated. Since opening in 1993, Terramia Ristorante has aimed to convince diners that there's always more to Italian food than just red sauce. Over the years, the innovative and beloved restaurant has done a great deal of convincing, and best of all, it's reasonably priced. This best-kept secret is worth the trip. Call 617-523-3112 or visit terramiarestaurante.com. I'm 
Francesca Luca, and you're listening to Talk with Francesca on 95.9 WATD. Welcome back. We are talking to Peg Streep, and we are discussing her book, The Daughter Detox. Welcome back, Peg. Thank you. So before the break, we start to talk a little bit about how it affects women. I mean, you know, it, 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 so many in so many ways, bringing the patterns of the past into the future, I would think becoming complacent and staying in situations that make them unhappy long past the expiration date. And um, so can we talk about that a little bit and, and how that Absolutely. really plays out? I mean, yeah. again, these mental models that attachment theory talks mm. about yeah. are really the unconscious assumptions that we make about the world of relationship. So if you have been brought up in a household where there you have been shamed for showing emotion. You have been told that you are too sensitive, that there is only one right way of doing things, that certain things cannot be discussed. Even though you have been brought up in a place that is very, very controlling, when you go out into the world, unless you have been into therapy, the chances are that you will find yourself back in your old comfort zone, a comfort zone that doesn't offer you any comfort, comfort yeah. but in fact is really familiar. Mm-hmm. See the word family and familiar? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, the reality oh my gosh, of ouch. it is that <laughs> we, so we finally get, we think we've gotten out of our childhood rooms, and we go out into the world. But the chances are really good without any intervention that we are going to find ourselves drawn to people who treat us, treat us the way we were treated before. Hence going and into an abusive excuses. relationship then, right? Right. Well, we, again, you know, you um, people who didn't feel taken care of, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, the example I always give, I've written about this, is, you know, uh, two women go out with the same guy on a date, and the guy is preening and commandeering and full of himself and so forth. And he goes out with a securely attached woman, and he says, what would you like to drink? And she says, uh, a white wine. And he says, no, 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 no. What you really want is their special cocktail. I come here all the time. Okay. And then they get... She notices, by the way, that he controls the conversation throughout. And he, he controls how she, what she wa- wants to eat. He tells her she shouldn't have the fish, she should have the veal. Anyway, by the end of the day, she is completely out of there. Nope. <laughs> Sounds like a real blast of a date. (laughs) Well, but wait. So then we get our insecurely attached girl Mm. who has not a lot of Mm self-esteem, who's anxious, who's been told that she's too sensitive, that she's a whiner, that she's not all that attractive. She's she's out with the same dude. (laughs) When he orders, when he tells her she shouldn't have a wine, but should have this cocktail. She thinks that's wonderful. He's Prince Charming on a white horse because <laughs> he's so solicitous. 
Oh, boy. So every single, the same menu of gestures, by the way. Mm-hmm. But the insecurely attached girl thinks that she has died and gone to heaven right. because he's in so, such command of himself. Mm-hmm. Because she, she doesn't see the control. Mm-hmm. She feels as though she's being taken care of. Same guy. Yeah, yeah. Same agenda. Mm. But two, two women who bring to the dining table completely different experiences. Oh, my goodness. That is, that's pretty fascinating, isn't it? Um, well, and again, I have spoken over the years to so many, uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, doubtless thousands of women, and listened to stories. And variations on a theme, it happens all the time, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where, you know, they, they don't really understand how they've been affected by their childhood. Well, their treatment they shapes don't really the personality. see how they've been been made voiceless, right? And they end up with people who, right? They can't grow with. They right. can't, you know. And basically, it's just like home, right? Well, they're they're the treatment has shaped their personality, and that's correct. And these women, they never reach their full potential, and who have hurtled from one relationship disaster to another, unable to get off the merry-go-round. Right. Um, you know, but I mean, what about other m- bigger things like battling depression, disordered eating, addictive behaviors, right? I mean, don't they connect to... Well, yes and no. Actually, the research on that is quite spotty. Uh-huh. Um, we know that children whose needs are not met, mm-hmm. who are insecurely attached, are in fact, generally speaking, at a greater risk for depression. All right. Um, that's because they can't manage emotion. Um, the whole eating disorder thing, again, there's some studies um, that show a connection because, of course, one way of looking at an eating disorder is the person who's suffering from it is trying to control one aspect of her life and her body. When she feels otherwise out of control. Mm-hmm. Now, if you've grown up with a very controlling or combative mother, um, that is an effort, you know, to fill the hole in your heart. Right. Um, th- there's been, again, eating, ju- not the, the information on eating disorders and cause and effect is not conclusive is the point okay but in terms of relationship to food body image shame body shame Mm -hmm. uh yeah you can go right out on a limb and say absolutely lots of these daughters have that no question what i want to do is there's one more thing that i want to ask you about before the next break but then the very last segment i'd love to talk about ways that women actually can heal but before we do i just want to talk a little bit about gaslighting because i think there's a lot of people including myself that really didn't know much about it and so i'm wondering if you can share with us when a mother is gaslighting or a scapegoating a child what what that looks like well there's there's two different things oh okay Um, Gaslighting, actually, strangely enough, is a a popular psychology word. 
it was originally derived from a famous play and then a movie, okay. <laughs> which mm-hmm. had Charles Boyer and Ingrid Bergman in it, mm-hmm. the movie. Mm-hmm. And basically in the movie, um, Boyer tries to convince Ingrid Bergman that she's crazy because he tells her that what she says is happening isn't really happening. Mm. Now, that's gaslighting. So, you, and my mother was an expert at gaslighting. Oh, my. So you would have a conversation, I would have a conversation with my mother, and she would say various things to me. And then I would say, a day or two later, well, you know, you did say X, and she said, no, I didn't. I mean, again, it's very easy to gaslight a small child. I mean, a little kid is easy, right? Mm -hmm. Um, The example I always give is, um, if you sit here quietly for two hours uh, and play nicely, when Mom gets this stuff done, I'll get you ice cream. Two hours later, kid sits there quietly. Mom comes back and the kid says, we're going for ice cream? What are you talking about? What ice cream? You promised me ice cream. No, you didn't. You've got to stop making things up. I never said that. Uh, and gaslighting, gaslighting uh, extends from things that happened, things that said were said, etc. And of course, you know, think big and think small. Um, little kid is you know three feet tall, and there's the adult mm-hmm. saying it didn't happen. I mean, in my case, by the time I was six or seven, I knew that one of us was crazy because there was only. One of only one person could be right. These things I knew these things had happened. So oh my goodness, she she was either making it up or I was right. And yeah, um, and I think a lot of and, and so many women probably don't want to share their stories for fear oh, that, 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 that scapegoating that, 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 is a bit different. Scapegoating mm-hmm. um, scapegoating happens in cultures in corporate settings in countries, actually. Mm -hmm. I mean, in Nazi Germany, the Jews were scapegoated as the reason Mm -hmm. for Germany's economic decline, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And it it comes from an old religious practice where a goat was chosen symbolically to, um, to symbolize the society's ills, right, and sins, and you... You chase the goat out of town, and therefore you were purified. Scapegoat. Okay? So scapegoating within the family uh, comes out of the blame game, and it's, oh, it's somebody's fault. It's always somebody's fault. Now, some families have rotating scapegoat roles, mm. um, but a lot of families have a child. And who's the scapegoat? And the mythology goes like this. The story that's told is, this family would be perfect and we would all be happy if it weren't for Danielle, if it weren't for Daniel. He's the one, she's the one who makes family life so difficult. And, of course, the, it's been pointed out in research that what a scapegoat permits either a parent or a culture to do is 
to pretend that things are far better than they actually are. In other words, the mother with right. a scapegoat child mm. can say with some surety, well, the family would be perfect if it weren't just for this one kid. So it's really putting the focus on the child rather than the crazy mom. Okay, we do need to take another short break, but when we come back, I'd like to talk about whether a woman should uh, continue the big million-dollar question, if she should continue with contact or not. Listeners, stay with us here. Don't go anywhere. This is life More Talk with Francesca coming right up on 95.9 WATD. Your dog is a very good dog. Show the world with positive at-home training from The Everyday Dog. Stephanie Delaney from The Everyday Dog provides one-on-one training for puppies, adult dogs, and rescue dogs, teaching manners and obedience, behavior modification, and even potty training for all ages. Teach your dog to be less fearful, reactive, or aggressive, and enjoy time that might have been stressful in the past with proven, pet-friendly techniques that do not involve painful collars or devices. For pricing, reviews, and to begin making the most of your time with that special canine, visit TheEverydayDog.com. Tides is beachside dining at its best all year round. Located at the end of the Nahant Causeway, directly on Nahant Beach, the ocean views from the dining room and the pub can't be beat, no matter what the season. Nominated for Best of the North Shore from North Shore Magazine for Best Alfresco Dining, Best Kid-Friendly Restaurant, Best Lobster Dinner, and Best Water View. Why would you go anywhere else? Whether you choose their dining room, a frosty pint at their bar, or a sun-drenched deck on the Hunt Beach, they guarantee you great atmosphere with super food and service. Their menu is full of fresh, high-quality seafood, prime rib, chicken, pasta, and pizza that everyone will love. Check out their drink menu for fun cocktails, 30 ice-cold beers on tap, and their well-rounded wine list with their state-of-the-art tap wines. They feature full-service lottery and kino. Tides is the place to watch any big game. They have over 20 HD TVs. At Tides, they specialize in casual dining with food that's just delicious, not pretentious. Tides is a fantastic restaurant anytime, summer or winter, lunch or dinner, rain or shine. Your pets are family. Take your dog to the Dog's Den in Pembroke. Your furry friend will go from smelling crummy to yummy because Leah at the Dog's Den really cares. Whatever your pet's needs are, from dematting to extra scissoring, the Dog's Den in Pembroke has your furry friends covered. So call the Dog's Den today at 781-826-7008 or visit thedogsdengrooming.com. You're listening to Talk with Francesca. I'm Francesca Luca. The talk continues on 95.9 WATD. And we are back, and I'm speaking with Peg Streep. She has written, well, many, many books, um, but we're discussing her book, The Daughter Detox. Welcome back, Peg. Thank you. All right. So the decision to go no contact has its own perils, obviously. So when does a woman decide to divorce their mother? Um, there is, again, this is a very complicated subject. It is. <laughs> and, I, and I am often accused of, in fact, being for going no contact. I am not, actually. Mm, no. But what I want, what I think is very, very important is that, um, that no contact be on the table as a consideration. Often, it isn't. Um, therapists 
some therapists take the position that in order to fix a relationship, you must be in it. That's true. However, some relationships are just not fixable. That's right. And so I have the following caveats, which are very important about estranging yourself from your mother, right? First of all, it is a highly personal decision. Of course. Only you can assess how toxic, how damaging, how painful it is for you to continue the relationship. Um, Most people who end up estranging themselves do so after failing at and attempting uh, setting up boundaries, changing the conversation, trying to get their mothers to see their behavior, and using low contact. In other words, Mm -hmm. seeing their mother uh, a couple of times a year. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people physically move far away for that reason, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Sometimes, however, that isn't enough. Now, more caveats in terms of going no contact. Going no contact does not heal you. No. Uh, What it does is if your mother is, in fact, actively disparaging, you are actively being wounded, uh, it is a hurtful situation. Going no contact gives you air and space to figure out how to heal yourself. But it doesn't heal you, okay? Mm -hmm. (coughs) Excuse me. Going no contact also allows you to shift your focus from your mother to you because the work of healing is actually accepting the situation, not blaming yourself, learning some self-compassion for what you have experienced, and moreover, fixing the behaviors you learned in childhood. Exactly. Um, They are best, all of that is best done with a gifted therapist. Um, however, there's a lot of self-help that you can apply as well. It's a very long process. Um, and then finally, the last word on uh, going no contact and estrangement, you never divorce just one person. The losses are huge. People take sides. People get involved. Uh, you may end up estranged from everybody in your family. So, again, I just want to make it clear, I am not for estrangement. Mm -hmm. But um, I do believe that um, sometimes it can't be, you just can't fix the relationship. Um, And the healthiest way to deal with it is to exit. Um, And it should be said, that is exactly what I ended up doing. Yes. I ended up estranged from my my mother. And what about your brother? Uh, I ended up estranged from him, too, collateral damage. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, (laughs) that's that's what ends up happening. Um, But I was, you know, I went back and forth. Uh, going no contact and then uh, reconciling with my mother Mm -hmm. 
I don't know, for 19 years. Did you actually tell your mother that you were going to leave, or was it just you stopped talking to her? Actually, interestingly, and of course I told her. I mean, this wasn't new news. I mean, interestingly enough, I didn't realize until I wrote Mean Mothers mm-hmm. that of all the times that I had been estranged from my mother in my 20s and my 30s, every reconciliation was initiated by me. Mm, right. I didn't realize that until I wrote the book, where I thought, oh, it's really interesting, you know, I would kind of leave. And she was fine with it, actually. Oh, gosh. You know, I remember having a conversation with someone a long, long time ago. Kind of never forgot it, though. It was a friend. He was getting a divorce. And, and, you know, and I remember saying, how can you ever grow from this if you can't work this relationship out? And, you know, he said, you know what? There are many universities out there, and this one I just don't want to be part of anymore. And I just never forgot it. It just, you know, do you know what I'm well, saying? Well, again, this is apparent, but I mean, you know, it's, well, it's, it's true. In, it's in, true. In my case, I didn't have the courage to divorce my mother. I only had one parent. My father died when I was 15. So um, th- this was, you know, this was the end of the road in terms of family. And what nailed the jello to the wall was I discovered that I was pregnant with a daughter. Oh, and five minutes after I got that news, I called my mother and said, nope. I won't be seeing you again because the last th- I I could I could bear what she said to me. I could not bear the thought oh, of her hurting. telling my daughter Oops. what a horrible person I was. I just I couldn't do it. That was that. That was that. We just have a few minutes left, Peg, and I wanted to ask you. There was something that I thought was interesting in your book and you talk about journaling which I think is always a great thing it's just sort of that brain dump putting everything on paper and expressing your feelings but you say that right not what, what was it what not what you felt but no, how, cool processing this e- is actually e- yeah. very important right um, it, it, like so yeah so you don't just journaling say, can be very bad for you <laughs> flash right if in fact you create what you felt in that moment, right? Uh-huh. You will actually put yourself back in that moment, eventually, uh, literally, emotionally. Your face will get hot. You'll start to get anxious. It, the more painful it was initially, the more that kind of recall is bad, the so, bad. So what fact. are you it's saying to do? Cool process. And what, what is that? What you do is you write about what happened as if you were seeing it from a distance, and you're not focusing on what you felt, but why you felt it. I felt pain because it was clear she wasn't listening to me. Her not listening to me was what really threw me into turmoil. In other words, Focusing on the why, not the what, very, very important. Um, there's a study, actually, that showed that people who were in the middle of the divorce, a divorce mm-hmm. who journaled, uh, recovered um, less well than people who didn't, and that was because of hot processing. Because of hot processing. Yeah, in other words, they were writing down 
what they, they not, not only went through what they felt once, right, mm-hmm. but then they dumped it on a page, which made them cycle through it again. Not good for you. So it's kind of not like good. similar to meditating where you are kind of looking at it from a distance. Yeah, except that generally speaking, unloved daughters have a lot of trouble managing their emotions. So the hot processing is, you know, venting is easier and venting is not good. Mm, yeah. Venting puts you back in the moment. Exactly. It does, it does not, even though I know in popular parlance it's supposed to release you, mm-hmm. it doesn't. So sure. Psychological studies show that uh, all it does is it throws you back into the original uh, emotional turmoil. All right. So no. <laughs> so no. Okay, Peg Streep, thank you so much for being on Talk with Francesca, a very, very heavy but very much needed topic. So really appreciate you being with us. So you have a great day. And thanks for having me. Okay, bye. bye. All right, we've got to wrap things up and say goodbye. I hope you enjoyed the show as much as I did. Very, very interesting. The um, book Peg Streep uh, wrote was called Daughter Detox and highly recommend it. See you next week, same time, same place. Make it a great week. Mm-hmm.